The first reading today is from the book of Genesis, chapter 3, verses 1 to 20 on page 2. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, You must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will surely not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly, and you will eat dust all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. To Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. The second reading is Romans 8, 17 to 25. It's found on page 800 in the Pew Bibles. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from the bondage to decay 
and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who are the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for, the adoption, for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope, is, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we will wait for it patiently. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Laura. Uh, I'd encourage you to have still open that part of Romans. We'll, we'll touch on both readings, but that's probably the place to best be centred. If you're uh, new or just uh, passing through, welcome. Uh, you've come on a, a great week, a chance where we finish looking, in some sense, at the cross. Uh, our preparation for Christmas has not been to look at the manger and Jesus a baby, but the end, uh, as Andrew hinted at the start of the service. We look at the achievement of the cross because that's the real excitement. That's what changes and transforms us. So we've been looking at the cross uh, in all its different, uh, I suppose, facets that we might delight in it and rejoice in it and be changed by it. Uh, we'll continue to look at it today. And let me remind you as well, um, Andrew mentioned it, but Carol's tonight is just a great opportunity to invite friends along. So make the most of it as well as delighting in Jesus. And next Saturday, because it's Christmas Day, we do have a service at 9.45, but not next Sunday. Just a reminder of that because of Boxing Day, it's only at 6. How about a pray though? Uh, for us as we look at his word. Our Lord and Father, we thank you for the goodness of your word. Uh, we thank you that it is powerful and transforming. We thank you that uh, in it we can know you and by knowing you we have life. Uh, Father, we pray that we might have life today, uh, that we might know you better, live differently because of it. Uh, Father, by your spirit speak to us uh, that our lives will be lived in uh, honour of you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you've been around church for at least long enough or a long time, uh, you'd be well aware that the cross completely fixes your relationship with God. It's kind of the way we normally talk about the cross. We, we talk about the cross a lot and how it deals with, with your guilt and how it, it deals with your sin and, and it secures your place before God. And it does do all those things. That's why we talk about it that way. And if you've been around church a long time, you'll realise that the cross does transform your life. But if that's all we ever think about in terms of the cross, we risk shrinking the cross down to being centred just on us, so almost like we make it a little lucky charm that we wear around our necks. Uh, the cross just becomes about me and what it does for me. And we shrink God to be good, yes, on the personal level, but, but maybe we don't emphasise just how strong he is on the big scale. Uh, Martin Luther said that the cross alone is our theology. That is, uh, it's through the, through the lens of the cross that we know God. It's through examining the cross and what happens there that we see the glory and the power and the character of God. And because the cross alone is our theology, our way of knowing God, if our view of the cross and what can it achieve is, is too small, if it just does the personal things in my life, then, then we'll get fooled into reducing God into being perhaps a little too small. So in the last week, floods uh, devastated, again, eastern Australia. Uh, someone who was just in Dubbo told me uh, a new Woolworths uh, opened up there. Uh, and people will go to shop there because the other options in town have been destroyed. 
And it's not just that shops have been destroyed, there are millions of dollars of crops that have been destroyed, livelihoods are ruined. And does your understanding of the cross have something to say to that? You know, after the world recently celebrated the rescue of uh, the Chilean miners uh, in Greymouth in New Zealand, 29 miners lost their lives in gas explosion. Yeah, and, and like those floods, it's a reminder that our world is disordered. It is beyond our control. You know, the death of asylum seekers off Christmas Island, again, was a tragedy this week. Uh, and witnesses and, and rescue workers talked about how their attempts to do rescues were hampered because of the bad weather. You know, something beyond their... They had a desire, they wanted to do what was good, but, but they couldn't deal with it. Yeah, and what does the cross say to those events? Yeah, events where you know, the, the messed up world comes into contact with real people because at points it touches on our life too, doesn't it? You know, the cross might be great at dealing with personal burdens, but, but, but what about the big scale stuff, the disaster of the world? Are they too big? Because if, if they are, if God can't do it, if the, if the cross says nothing, well, God will never be glorified in his creation. You know, he'll always be mocked by it. So is your understanding of the cross and therefore God big enough for every circumstance. So this morning I want us to see not just that the cross transforms lives. Yes, it does that. I want us to see that the cross transforms the world. And so it transforms the way that we deal with the world. Uh, The backdrop for this understanding is is Genesis. Uh, Genesis 3 gives the explanation of our circumstances, uh, that our sin is why the world is disrupted. Uh, so you notice there in Genesis 3, sin's heart, there is, is false beliefs about God. You know, the, Adam and Eve bind the devil's life. First of all, the doubt is cast. That, you know, maybe God didn't really say that. And then further, maybe God doesn't have good intentions in what he says. You know, you won't really die if you eat of that tree. You know, and isn't that always the way with our sin? You know, these false beliefs of God, maybe God doesn't actually really say that. Maybe God doesn't really want what's best for us. You know, we envy others because deep down we've got this wrong belief that God perhaps is keeping something good from us. You know, why else would he keep that job away from us? You know, why is it that he wouldn't give us that family life or, or that house that we'd really like? You know, and, and that false belief about God has created this frustrated, cursed and disordered world. So the backdrop of Genesis 3 is that as humanity rejects God's word, it doesn't just break relationship with him, it breaks relationship with others, but even more, it even breaks relationship with the whole of creation. Uh, So in 3.14, the animals that humanity was to care for and rule over will start fighting against it. Uh, In verse 16, uh, the blessing of children will come now through the agony of childbirth. In verse 17, uh, work becomes cursed. You know, so the, the ground will start producing the stuff we don't want and, and we'll have to work hard, we'll have to bend our backs. To, to, it'll be hard slog to get it to achieve what we'd like. You know, creation is frustrated and it's all because of our sin. And because sin is the heart of all creation's problems, because sin is at the heart of why this world is disordered and chaotic and destructive and devastating, well, the solution is going to be found in the same place that our sin is dealt with, at the cross of Christ. That's a big point I want us to hear this morning, that the cross liberates creation, the cross transforms this world. The effects 
of the curse on creation are so far-reaching that nothing less than God the Creator himself coming, acting, recreating can reverse it. And that's exactly what Christ did. Um, Colossians 1 verse 19 says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, him being Jesus, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So Paul doesn't just see uh, the cross in terms of what it does for you and me, but, but he understands it in cosmic proportions. It isn't just that, that people who are, are sinful get reconciled back to God, but all things. You know, by that meaning, it's subhuman creation as well. Because since the fall, it hasn't just been people alienated from God. Creation has been alienated from God. And the cross liberates all of creation from that frustration. You know, the solution to, to cosmic disorder didn't happen in some kind of mystical, otherworldly drama, but, but in the shameful death of the God-man on a hill in Calvary. And grasping this, it, it's, the cross becomes breathtaking in its scope. You know, in that one moment, it brings both personal and cosmic restoration. The whole of creation is fixed at that point. And we pick up our reading in in Romans 8. Now, what Christ has done is turn what seems to be death pains. We look around and we see floods and famine and disaster. We see suffering and sickness and and it looks like the world is dying. But actually, no, Romans 8 says it's turned into birth pains. You know, the, the cross transforms the pain of this world to actually be uh, positive rather than negative because the world is moving towards freedom. Uh, in Romans 8.20, uh, creation was subject to, subjected to frustration. Uh, it doesn't say there by, by whom. Uh, some people suggest it could be you know, because of our sin, we subjected it. Some people say it's the devil, it was his plan. Uh, I suspect, though, it's God in mind. It's God who's subjected because as you read on, the creation is subjected to frustration with a purpose in mind, to liberate it, to bring it to freedom. Now, only God had that good purpose of liberation and freedom in mind. And so the, the groaning and the decay and the devastation that happens here on earth is a sign in 8.22 that something greater is coming. Just like labour pains give that sign. Now, because just like creation's problems are are linked to ours in Genesis 3, uh, its transformation, its restoration, the cure is linked as well to us, the transformation of Christians. In in 8 verse 19, creation is looking for the sons of God to be revealed. Because when that happens, creation will be free too. Now, you know, at the moment, you can't walk down the street, you go past a coffee shop and go, that one's a Christian, there's a son of God, nope. You, know, you, you can't do that uh, at this point because there are sons of God, uh, there are those who will inherit, but it's, it's not revealed yet, it's not known yet, it's not seen plainly by all. But there will be a time when that happens and creation itself cries out for that. It cries out to, to fulfil what the cross has created. Uh, it cries out for liberation and freedom. You know, the, those things we call natural disasters, they're not beyond God, they're not beyond the cross's scope. You know, the, the cross alone is our theology. That's how we know God. And what we see at the cross is the reconciliation, not just of messed up people, but a messed up world. 
Now, the cross reminds us that God is big enough to deal with every problem of the world, uh, even the ones that we've caused but can't solve. You know, the cross says to, to floods and to droughts and suffering and sickness, it says Christ has secured something better. You know, in the face of natural disaster, the cross reminds us of a few things. First, it reminds us of the total goodness of heaven. You know, it's hard to get excited often uh, about heaven in the way that's generally presented. Uh, the prospect of a, an eternally long church service um, is hard. Uh, even for the super spiritual here amongst us, I suspect that you'll be happy to know that we will finish and get to morning tea at some point, uh, that you weren't hoping that this kind of roll in the carols and then you can just go to the and then we'll have another service. To get, you know, we don't, even the super spiritual don't want that. You know, an eternity that bears little or no connection to the kind of things of this life that we experience and delight in is not going to turn the world upside down. It's not going to excite anyone. You know, when losing someone I loved uh, a bit over a decade ago, I found myself asking those big questions about uh, whether we know one another in, in heaven. You know, will, will we recognise others? Will we be able to reconnect with them and see them again? And, and I think those kind of questions leap into our mind partly because so often heaven is presented as, as such a big divide from life here on earth. You know, it seems so strange and it's all kind of, you know the opposite of all the good things that we've experienced. You know, lots of perceptions of heaven are kind of floating around on clouds and, and playing harps and you kind of go, that's not appealing because it's so disconnected. And we ask those kind of questions of, you know, will there be connections here? You know, because the kind of floaty version of heaven is neither comforting nor exciting. So how often do you think about heaven? How often do you stop and ponder its greatness? How often do you talk about your enthusiasm to be there like you would with a holiday? And could it be because what we imagine heaven to be has not captured our hearts because we've got a false view of it? Because you know, what the cross does is it liberates creation and gives us a picture of heaven that captures the heart. It says that our hope is not to leave this earth, but we long for it to be redeemed. Uh, Romans 8.21, creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and it will be brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. You know, it's a lie of uh, Eastern religions that death is a separation from matter. You know, the cross says, no, no, that, that heaven is the goodness of this creation with all the curse removed. You know, the, the floods and the droughts and the destructive storms and the mining disasters, they're all gone. Uh, the sickness and the frailty, all gone. You know, that, that there we shall be such as we are now in our present form, but, but without the defect and without the corruption. There is a continuity. We will know one another in heaven. And we will know God in a way that he now knows us. That's why Jesus constantly went to images of, of wedding feasts to explain the resurrected life. Uh, as someone else wrote about the goodness of heaven, it's an epic time of eating and drinking and celebrating in glorious bodies, all hosted by God the Father on the top of the table. Now the cross says heaven is totally good because creation will be transformed and liberated. More than that, the cross makes us people of hope. 
You know, that, that the cross has transformed the world, transforms us. Uh, the cross speaks of the reconciliation of the world as, as a certainty. Uh, so in the face of those natural disasters that you and I can't fix, we know it has been fixed. You know, Colossians 1 talks about it's already happened at the cross, at the shedding of his blood, all those things were reconciled. Peace was made. Uh, in Romans 8, we don't see it yet, but in 8.19, uh, it's only because it hasn't been revealed. You know, the language of revealed is really important there, isn't it? You know, it says it already exists, just hasn't seen it yet. It's why the, the analogy of uh, labour pains are so apt. I mean, it's always brave and slightly dangerous of a bloke to talk about labour pains. Uh, but, you know, it's an illustration there, so it's a helpful illustration. You know, the pain of labour occurs because the baby already exists. It just has to be revealed. Yeah, and though it's with pain, it's done with a certain hope that the child is coming and when the child comes, the pain will cease. Yeah, and that's why Paul concludes in 8.24 that we are saved in hope. You know, again, hope can seem like that kind of airy-fairy, wishful thinking kind of term. You know, people use hope and it's kind of a flimsy word often. You know, it, it kind of just pictures hope. It's, it feels as flimsy as those kind of ethereal floating in heaven kind of words. You know, pe- people use hope like a pipe dream. You know, I hope I win the lottery, haven't even bought a ticket. But, you know, like it's that kind of sense we use the word hope. But no, 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 hope is a strong word. Hope is about right confidence of what already exists. We just haven't had it revealed yet. You know, hope is about certainty that we go and put into action. Hope changes us. Now, firstly, it's going to change us in that in hope we aren't overwhelmed by this world's chaos. Because we know it's not going to last forever. In Genesis 3.17, the earth is cursed not simply because of the way we might selfishly exploit it. It's cursed because our rebellion against God has, has permanently disrupted creation. What's that mean? It means that no matter what you do, the world will still be decayed and destroyed until he fixes it up completely. It's not just a matter of your direct acts of sin. And so we expect to suffer because we live in a cursed world. A Christian friend was really uh, rattled uh, when the global financial crisis hit them and they lost their life savings. And they were rattled in large part because the Christian tradition that he'd grown up in had uh, taught him uh, that basically if you do good things, if you're a good faithful Christian, then everything will go well and only good will happen to you. Uh, And that's a lie. Even if you live perfectly, you're not going to, but even if you did, creation is still cursed. Christian people still lose their homes. Christians still do bury their children at an untimely way. Christians still lose their livelihoods in floods and their lives in natural disasters. Creation is still frustrated, but because of hope in the cross that liberates, we are not overwhelmed. Instead, we kind of live the lives here that will continue forever. So so in Romans 8.23, it talks about where you've got the first fruits of the Spirit. What do we do? We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. You know, the first fruits are the, the start of the crop, you know, the rest is coming. We who have the Spirit know that what is certain yet for us, that we are going to have the redemption of our bodies. And so we groan for it. You know, when the Spirit enters us, we long for heaven. You know, we long for holiness and we get frustrated with sin. And so we long for redemption bodies. It's why, you know, the longer you're a Christian, 
the more sinful you see yourself. It's not because you're acting worse, but, but your sense is heightened. You're longing, you're groaning for a redemption increases. Yeah, and in hope, we don't get overwhelmed by the world's chaos. We just strive to be more like Christ. We groan all the more to be like him and have those redemption bodies. Uh, we, we lived in the eastern suburbs uh, when the most expensive hailstorms to ever rip through Sydney hit uh, on, a, on a Saturday night. It's been over a decade ago. Uh, people from uh, church had their, their houses, the contents destroyed. But interestingly, they still turned up to church the next day. It was the same my friend's church uh, over in Christchurch uh, after the earthquakes. Uh, they struck early Sunday morning uh, before dawn. And still people turned up to church. And I thought, it's a small thing. You know, church attendance isn't everything. But it's just a little reminder that the chaos of the world doesn't crush hope centred on the cross. It doesn't overwhelm that longing that the Spirit puts in us, groaning that we would become more like God. It was a sign of what Romans 8.25 points to, that we endure patiently in this broken world. But it also means... If we have this kind of hope, that we will value this broken world, that we will care for this broken world. Because this world mattered enough to Christ to shed his blood to restore it. Uh, There's been uh, some sections of the environmental movement that suggest that it's it's actually Christians, it's the gospel uh, that has led, you know, this hope of heaven that has led to the abuse and exploitation of this world. And you kind of go, no, 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 that's a failure to understand exactly how much Christ values this world, that he died to restore it. You know, 2 Peter talks about uh, how the elements will be destroyed by fire, but, but it carries that element of what being refined there uh, in the same way that Noah's flood did in his time. You know, we, we are people, if we have the hope in heaven, that, that actually are committed to the world's care for his honour, and for the glory of Christ. That's true, environmental awareness has kind of become normal now. Uh, the Greens are now a mainstream party. Uh, we all recycle now as part of the garbage ritual without a second thought. I, you know, growing up, we, we didn't recycle. No one recycled. But now everyone has to recycle. My children uh, learn at school uh, where the recycling plants are in Sydney that are deal with the different numbers. You know, you have different numbers for the recycling. They can tell me which ones Blacktown can do. Very useful. It's normal now to be environmentally aware. The danger we face, though, in normalising it is that it makes it easy to excuse sin and fail to reflect our hope. We we can get lazy about, well, we're doing our little bit to care for the world rather than being passionately carers of God's good creation. Why is it that we don't switch to efficient energy bulbs. Why is it that we you know, don't flick off all our appliances at the right time? As we speak of church renovations, are we being God-centred in our care of nature? Because the, the temptation is we always want to use this world selfishly. But, but the hope of the cross that liberates creation says, no, no, we value it. We put ourselves out to care for the world that Christ died for. Our major objection to, I suppose, environmental action is, is financial, but it's economical. Well, it's not economical to be green. You know, the same kind of objections people put to Wilberforce when he opposed slavery. You know, hope in the cross commits us to care and rule for this world in a way that glorifies Christ. So leading up to Christmas, we've looked at the cross because it alone is our way of knowing God. 
But more than that, uh, the cross is a word for this whole hurting world. Our world needs the cross. Because the cross reminds us that we have a God who doesn't just bear the weight of your problems, but he bears the weight of the world itself. Let's pray. Our Lord and Father, we thank you for the great liberation of the cross. We thank you for the way that it transforms this world. We thank you for the goodness of this creation and the way that heaven will be so much greater. And Father, help us to keep having a big understanding of the cross that we might have a big and clear understanding of you, that we would live as people with real hope, a hope that changes us and I hope that means we live in such a way that shows the world the power of the cross. In Jesus' name, amen.